there. This is from the rooftops. That's there's Clay. Where? Huh? Oh, fuck. I gotta call an exterminator. Uh, that's Talon. And we're gonna talk about superheroes because we really just want to talk about superheroes a lot. Like, just because we are going to do this anyway. We might as well put a record button on it. And it keeps away the dread, and that's important. Last episode, we talked about the super family and the idea of a connected group of characters who all have some common emotional space, usually uh, also complicated by them having varying degrees of power or specialization within their power, which means this is a perfect place for us to jump off and start talking about power levels. Yeah, and scale of power and how those things interact. And I think the big thing is to talk about, like, the amount of effect a character can have and, you know, the the size of a problem they can solve, yeah. you know? What does and doesn't bother that character? Because right. these are ways we connect to characters. One of the whole points of the iconic image of Superman is that he's actually not bothered by bullets and guns. He's transcended those problems, which means that his stories aren't going to be about bullets and guns. Yeah, um, it's funny because how, like, how... Like, flimsy a lot of the power scaling can be. Just, <laughs> uh, yeah. Not just because, you know, comics and bullshit and superheroes in general, but also there's a thing that happens a lot where any writer who comes on, especially if they're coming on to a figure who is been viewed as less or like a D-list or A-list, because that's also part of it too. It's like A-list and who's important and who's not. Because there's a lot of low power characters who are A list, and a lot of high power characters who are Z at best tier. You know? Yeah. And and there's this weird intersection of that where they start to see you know low scale power scale characters operating on high scale power events because they're an A lister, so they have to be involved. Batman has to show up to the Dark Side event, even though why are you here? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Which. You know, that, that, a good writing staff and a good uh, proactive approach can, can fix these problems. But broadly speaking, in the context of, of Marvel and DC as superhero universes, characters who are super have enough difference between what they interact with and the scale they work at that there's no reason for everyone to know each other. When you have, mm. um, when you have for example, a, a shorter work like Irredeemable... Or, um, uh, I'm trying to think of another one that's not so depressing, but in, in those universes, you have a very, very small concentrated cast of super characters, so they all almost know each other. And anyone who's going to matter has to know each other, even though their power levels may be wildly different. Um, Irredeemable uses this reasonably well. But the, the point is that there is a space created by differences in power, and that space gives chances for characters to have different and interesting and varied reactions to one another and to the world around them. Now, the schema, media studies word, the uh, framework that uh, I've been using for this for a couple of years because I stole it from Clay. We developed this together. Yeah, let's call it that, a collaborative effort. <laughs> um, the schema we use breaks power down into roughly three bands that are worth talking about with two extras up on top. Um, so on the bottom level, we have what I, we call, what I call back alley, and that's which, was, which is often called a street-level character. This is someone with no powers or borderline powers. Something like, uh, obviously, the Bat family, most of them anyway. Um, Daredevil will be a borderline case, um... Hawkeye, 
Green Arrow and his crew, uh, Taskmaster, Punisher, the Defenders, that whole region. And sort of at the top, above that, we have Rooftop. And Rooftop refers to full-on superpowers, but not necessarily able to call massive explosions. Mid-level characters, basically. Your mid-card. Things like Spider-Man, more reasonable interpretations of the Flash, um, uh, the Atom, um... I would say Iron Man most of the time, although yeah. he, would, he would you would imply otherwise. You're just a guy wearing a very fancy plane, sir. Um, yeah, and characters well, like that. In, indeed, you can also use planes as a measure of how a character relates to this scale. Right. If if they have to scrape the money together to get on a plane, they're back alley. Right. If they rescue a plane, they're sometimes rooftop. If they right. fight a plane, they're skyline. Yes, and the top level of what you normally interact with is Skyline, and that's Superman, Thor, uh, the Hulk, um, most of those high-level characters. And then more, like, higher up is one we consider space or cosmic, which, hi, space and the cosmic arena, arena, and that's kind of the top level for me, I would say. The only yeah, thing that, is, that's where you get really doofy stuff. Yeah, but at the same time, Nothing's stopping Superman from being a space character except the fact that he, there's nothing in space that he cares about personally. Yeah. You know? And that's the, more the of fact a that setting, you know, mm-hmm. variation than there's a power variation. And I think it's also, above that is, I guess it's there's space and then there's cosmic. The cosmic, you're de- yeah. You're dealing with a god, a fundamental the force of the universe. The the, the mm-hmm. infinity gems, that sort of stuff. Yes. Uh, one, of the, one of the things you can always get as a general idea of where these breakpoints lie is that usually a skyline character makes a good rooftop villain mm. and a rooftop character makes a good skyline makes a good back alley villain like someone who is just on the bottom end of the next tier of power is usually the kind of thing that you can overcome as like a big thing it's a big deal if uh if it ever came down to it um the uh, the, the well uh, here's the classic Batman taking down Superman is generally regarded as being a story. Right. Even looking at some of his higher-end villains like um, Killer Croc, Mr. Freeze, uh, Man Bat, uh, Clayface. Like, Man Bat... Yeah, yeah, those are pretty rooftop-level characters that he has to work to bring down. You know? Yeah. Indeed, he's only got one villain who I would consider to be really about his, like, same schema level. Uh, and that's curiously one of his most powerful, which is Raj al Ghul. Right, somebody who can physically match him and also has the resources to compare. And... Yeah, and the case with Raj al Ghul is because Raj al Ghul is a normal, a massive quotation marks, normal human man yeah. in a world of superheroes. In order for him to be able to wield meaningful power, he needs a conspiracy and an infrastructure and a willingness to plan and to wait that represents scales of decades not just of days right you can't rajal ghul doesn't get a wild plan and go hey can we can we hit that bank on thursday whereas like doc ock to use a similar example doc ock literally at one point went i'm out of parts for this thing i'm working on excuse me nipping down to a military base to rip them out of a tank which is just ridiculous especially for a guy who would later be shown to be much more intelligent than that and yeah it's interesting, too, how intelligence and resources play a part into that. Because, you know, depending on how much resources you have, you can 
bump yourself up, but you know, multiple levels. Like, what is Lex Luthor's threat level, right? Mm. As a person who occasionally gets into fistfights with Bat- with Superman, but also can create threats that are direct, you know, comparisons to himself. How does that well, work? You can also you can also point to the fact of like think about the times that Lex Luthor has actually fought Superman. Mm. All right. I can think of two, one of which involving a protein, sorry, not protein, a kryptonite needle, and one of which involved a mecha powered by kryptonite. Right. In both cases, pretty much anyone, not necessarily totally anyone, but pretty much anyone could have, back alley, could have piloted that mecha or with that particular handicap on Superman, gotten involved at that point. So it's not, there's a lot you can do with extenuating for the story, for the moment kind of stuff. Right. And this is the thing about, does this character have... Is this the thing a character has done versus what a character does on a regular basis, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, uh, one, one thing you can think of is the cover art of, of a character. We have... There's an iconic Spider-Man shot. And I say it's iconic because they've done it like 20 times off the top of my head. Where he is straining to hold a collapsed chunk of building up over his head. Right. We know Spider-Man is super strong, but his super strength is comparable to me, not comparable to Superman. So him holding up a section of building is literally straining him. And you see this, well, very typical pose of Spider-Man. He is putting a lot of effort, he is exerting himself, and that's cover art of that character. And it's interesting when we talk about, like, the importance of, you know, power level and stuff, because, like you said... They characters carve out their own little niches and they live in that space. And it's funny how some people, like, I guess, view higher, like, if you're not a big deal, if you're not a, like, a skyline level threat, then you're not a big deal, right? And I've never viewed it that way just because, like, even in real life, right? I'm in space right now and this is reality. There is a, like, fireball the size of a galaxy just rolling through the universe. It could point itself our way, and there is nothing I can do about that. And if it does, I'll die. But I could also just die right now because my heart wants to stop. So that's that massive universe-level threat is meaningless to me. In much the same way that some shit Superman's doing way over there is not really important to my street-level characters, you know, on the other side of the country, if it doesn't actually touch them. Yeah, the the idea that higher power levels cast a longer shadow is only a problem when you force those characters to interact and demand that the story recognize that fact yeah you um you want a a good point to this and this is actually some material i've been going over recently uh do you only think about the uh marvel event annihilation (laughs) oh you do go on okay for for the listener i mean this is the early 2000s uh 2005 6 i think um, by all accounts, a pretty good event, and it's shaping up all right. I usually don't care too much about the cosmic stuff, but um, it took place over Quicksilver. I mean, not Quicksilver. Wow, Silver Surfer, Super Scroll for some reason, um, Nova, and Thanos, Drax. These are the books. These were the titles. It was Ronan the Accuser. And basically, it was kind of like the plot of Mass Effect, where an extra-dimensional like, swarm of semi-living creatures just started eating planets. This was a big deal, and it was such, it was such a huge deal 
Silver Surfer actually went back to Galactus and re-enslaved himself to gain more power cosmic in order to deal with this threat. And in fact, two more Galacti beings, Galactus beings, like his sister and his brother, were released in this mm-hmm. event and were in the midst. And all this shit was happening. It's not remembered much by the mainstream public because civil war was happening at the same time. Yeah. A squabble over legislation between a jock with a shield and a dude with a nice plane is more important than the entire universe being eaten by robots out in space. Yeah. So, like, scale, right? Power level. Which is more important? Who's going to get a movie? Not the most important thing that could have ever happened. Yeah. These guys fighting. And and part of that is also just connection. Yeah. Like, it was there was a lot of stuff in Civil War they did that was explicitly meant to really hit comic readers where they were living, like the fact that Spider-Man told the world who he was. Yeah. That was a big deal. That was such a big deal that they dredged up the biomodem from Thunderbolts and said, oh, Tony Stark's got it now, and it, it, I, oh, God, spare me. Anyway, um, for myself, I personally split uh, Skyline into two categories. I think of Skyline and High Flyers. Because, for example, the Avengers are largely Skyline characters. And this is not a total thing, but this is a general thing. that DC has more of these High Flyers, these characters who are disconnected from honestly sucky parts of day-to-day life. Billy Batson is still an orphan who has to deal with most of his day being taken up being a tenure. But Shazam, Captain Marvel, he doesn't. He is a high-flying character who is capable of doing the thing. He is a, a really wonderful, comforting fantasy space to enter into when you're thinking just, you know, can't someone just fix this? And because of that, that character requires a certain distance from all the stuff he's dealing with. And and DC has done a lot to put some of its more obvious high flyers kind of more prominently. Um, when we when we were talking about uh, Superboy a couple of episodes ago, I offhandedly said that he was super strong, and Clay was like, yeah, but he's like Luke Cage super strong? And that's not really a wrong assessment, even though I think of Superboy as being, you know, probably stronger than Luke Cage by a significant enough margin that you wouldn't consider them in the same class. Well, that's also because if you go into, um, like, the old comics where he had the tactile telekinesis shit going on. Yeah, that, well. And there is the, the other conversation of, like, mobility, because, say, mm. a speedster can operate, I guess, swing in a higher weight class than you might assume just because of yeah. his, the, well, the, the, the reach of his influence, you know? Well, that that's the other thing. Like, these power levels... They don't try and break it down into what powers do or what what, uh, your powers are capable of at their extremes. It tries to instead frame it in terms of what's the stuff you deal with on a day-to-day basis? What what, what makes up your stories? And the fact is, super speed in that annoying comic book nerd, take a puff, make an extensive speech kind of way is such a deal-breakingly potent power. Mm. It could reasonably be said to outdo every alternative power source in like the, the gap between the power granted by super speed and the power granted by super strength needs to be truly monstrous and that's without getting into stuff that they like created for the flash of like he can vibrate himself through walls right just two places at once nonsense outrunning bullets nonsense and that's also when i say writers come on and try to boost the status and it's 
part of the thing where they always come on and they want to give their character like a feat, an amazing feat, just to sort of elevate their status. And sometimes they'll do a thing where they'll say, like with Iceman, when um Emma Frost like took over his brain and said, what the fuck are you doing throwing icicles at people? You're infinitely powerful, you know? Yeah. That Ryder wanted to boost Iceman's status by making that happen, by, you know, yeah. increasing the status of his powers but he still went back to just being Iceman as we know him he never he's still an omega level mutant according to whatever ranking or marvel card you have but yeah he doesn't he doesn't do omega level shit on any level of regular or regularity he's yeah still rooftop you know could be skyline mm-hmm. according to this text but still rooftop and indeed changing changing Iceman to be a skyline hero you could do that. You could totally, with with the pieces that are already in place, I mean, you know, you could do whatever you want, writing-wise, but with the existing things that they've put in place, they could decide, all right, look, we're going to make Iceman into a Hercules-level type of character who just, like, turns up and solves stuff with amazing, ridiculous powers and then just moves on. And that, that'll that be our thing for this character now. They could do that, and they've, like, laid groundwork for that. But that's not the stories that seem to be really resonant with Iceman, as you might note if you've been paying attention to the current Iceman uh, is it miniseries. Well, he's, he's, he's getting a series. He's got a miniseries going down, and it's mostly just small, like, interpersonal things going on. I mean, he has fights and what have you, because it's comic books, but, yeah, it's just a little... Because that's who the character is. And by the way, yeah. shout-outs to whoever is doing that comic, because at the core of it, they seem to have said, you know that thing we did about how mutancy and gayness are the same thing? like, you know, as metaphor, and they've kind of deliberately flown in the teeth of that with some really interesting story. Just like, I, I quite like the sound of that. I haven't read it yet, but mm. I, I'm a fan of... What, what the hell? There is a, there's a sequence where Bobby talks... Bobby, whose parents have been very much, you know, my son's no mutant here, rah, 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 kind of characters, almost stereotypical rednecks. And he comes home and he's like, okay, hi... I, I figure I need to make up with you because, you know, dad's sick and that's not good and I just I just don't want to be going out on a bad note, kind of. Uh, and uh, his, his dad, and he's, he's like, I may have something to tell you because, of course, he's gay. And and this, they, they build up this tension to this conversation around his dad assuming he stopped being a mutant somehow. And, and, and as he's leaving, he's just like, okay, he can't handle mutant. He definitely can't handle gay. That's uh, Cena Grace and Alessandro Vitti writing. Hey, how about that? Yeah, and... Props to them. <laughs> yeah, and I th- I think that was, you know, everybody's favorite. That was Bendis who, like, set that up, you know, mm. during the uh, all-new, all-different, same-old X-Men run. Yeah, so another way to consider power level is who do you fight? Yeah. And and not just, not just in a broad, who is your rogues gallery? Because some great villains occupy spaces wildly incongruous with their heroes. But, uh... When you show up in the comic for the first time, when they're trying to get people to, you know, get an idea of you, who do they have you fight? Because a lot of the time it's Juggernaut. <laughs> <laughs> there is, there is, it's interesting, like, obviously part of that is, does the writer like or care about the character enough? And I'm talking about like a villain or a threat to present them in a certain way, you know? And the idea of like, what's your tier? Like, even if you're a, a hero with a rogues gallery, What's the hierarchy within that? And sometimes that hierarchy has nothing to do with threat level and everything to do with, like, level of intensity of hatred, right? Like, the Green Goblin may be super soldier level strong, you know, has bombs, flies around, pretty smart. 
is Spider-Man's top villain, right? I don't yeah. think that's unfair. Yeah. Sandman could destroy a city. <laughs> Mid to low level villain in terms of importance. Well, that that's also one of the things I really like about, and we're going to get into this at another time, that uh, Sandman's a science monster. Yeah. And the, the monstrous element of the character, this is the same thing with Doc Ock. Doc Ock is both a mad scientist and the mad scientist's creation at the same time. So you get the excuse coolness me, excuse of me, this. Excuse me. It, Dr. Doc Ock was the monster? Okay, Doc Ock was the doctor. You're speaking of Doc Ock. Monster, monster. <laughs> You're a monster, Clay. You're a monster. Um, but yeah, the the fundamental idea of a uh, uh, of characters who are less motivated, less driven, and and therefore even if they have an enormous amount of power, they don't have to throw that around in the same way. Um, which is which is a uh, part of the problem with one of these type mismatches you get. When you have a back alley hero hanging out with and doing stuff on the level of a sky high hero, it creates a sort of dissonance that makes you wonder why isn't why isn't the sky high hero just better? Because everything the back alley hero can do is a thing that a person can do, and the sky high hero is a person. So where's where's that disconnect coming? And I mean, you can even have two characters who are wildly different in power, who are at the same rough level even with that wild difference in power, who get around this with a good character dynamic, such as, say, Luke Cage and Iron Fist. Right. And the other half of that is the, like, the very particulars of individual power sets, you know? Because you have your flying brick, and he can do X, Y, and Z, but he's not going to be able to do A, B, and C that, you know, an energy blaster may bring to the table. And even if they're not on the same level because the energy blaster has you know, certain limitations to him, at the end of the day, you're going to need him to do some things that he can and can't do. And like I said, part of that, and that's usually what they do. They give him a feat to say, oh, we, we take away this limitation. Um, Iron Fist used to have to only be able to use the Iron Fist maybe once a day. And we reached this level where he's punching a train full of nukes by encharging his body to become an antiparticle or some shit. Which was cool, but what what's his threat level now when he does that? You know? And he can use it all the time, and he can hypnotize people with his hands and all these other things. What's his threat level? Probably the exact same place it always was, because that's where he fits. Mm. And he's still going to be dealing with um, the same kinds of thing. Even, like, okay, there's going to be a thing when it comes to guns. Because guns are one of the things that makes a setting modern. And in the case of um, Marvel and DC, it's also a large part of what makes a setting American. (laughs) Guns are a big part of the superhero schema, particularly about how your character doesn't use or care about them. If you pull a gun on Danny at close range, and even the Netflix series gets this right, he's not bothered. He's just not. If it's something that's in arm's reach, he's really not bothered. He still dodges when you shoot at him. Yeah. It's uh, I'm I'm less I'm always less concerned about whether someone like arms are long enough to box with God, to box with God. I'm more concerned with can you take the hit that comes next? You know, because yeah, sure you can shoot your super beams at Galactus. Okay, what happens when he puts his finger out and flicks you? Do you die? Yeah. That's what's important. And, and that's in an interesting sort of way, like power level, 
or like the amount of effect you can have is, is to a certain extent less important. The amount of, you know, impact you can take or the amount that you can withstand. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, then you get the awkward thing of like, is a character who can survive anything as powerful as a character and kill anyone in one hit but dies instantly? And then you get into the whole RPG kind of mechanics thing, which is just... It tends to be a, one of the many places where nerds wind up missing the point grotesquely about stories about superheroes. Oh, yeah. Because... It's why, um, you know, Wolverine gets to swing in weight classes way outside of his own because, oh, well, he can't die. Yeah, but he also can't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> do you know how long we were waiting for a rematch between the Hulk and Wolverine in, like, in actual real-world history years? Because Wolverine was introduced... In a Wolverine, in, in a Hulk of, comic, right? In a Hulk comic, and then he stayed away from the Hulk for longer than I've been alive. And like, what do you think's gonna happen? It's gonna stab him a whole bunch, and then Hulk's gonna throw him into space. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta, we gotta make statues and T-shirts and posters and do all this shit. No, it doesn't. The, the, that math does not pan, pan out. And I'm not even no. against like, like A beating B in terms of like. Oh, I don't like you have a fire guy and you have Human Torch and Iceman and they fight. Who wins? That can go either way, as far as I'm concerned, you know. But mm. you have two extremely similar characters, and yet one's vastly superior, you know. Hulk and and Wolverine are both dudes who hit things a lot and can't die. One of them does that more so than the other. There's just a clear aspect to that, you know. Yeah. And this, this again, represents a, an interesting thing as far as that whole power discrepancy goes, because, yes, Wolverine and the Hulk are not in the same weight class. Not really. It's endearing that you may think so, listener. It's, it's okay. It's all right. One of them can literally lift mountains. The other of them can be held down. Sorry. It's just, it's <laughs> just not them, even close. One of them but, punched a uh, planet to death and then punched it back to life. The other one is currently dead. <laughs> but well actually they're both dead right now yeah but you still get some really interesting things with from the writer's perspective how can we get this fight to be something wolverine survives because in one of the hulk wolverine throwdowns hulk like as clay said why did he just punch him into space because that that completely screws wolverine he can't he can't fly he's 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 hosed and that would end the story of Wolverine effectively. And they don't want to do that. So they've got to come up with ways to tell the story in a way that results with Wolverine still on a planet where he can actually, like, reform and they can do something about that. So in the first one, they had a fight on a mountaintop. And Hulk just grabs Wolverine like a ragdoll, tears him in half at the middle, and chucks both halves in opposite directions. That was uh, Ultimate Hulk versus Wolverine, I believe. Yeah. And as far as that goes, that is a that was a, that was an amazingly good character moment because it shows Hulk. It's a very childish expression of anger, and it let you, it let them convey that Hulk as being well, like that particular Hulk was at that time. And later on, when they had a, when you had a different Hulk fighting Wolverine, Hulk didn't actually want kill Wolverine, which is a, you know he was very angry, but he didn't want to kill Wolverine, which is honestly kind of impressive. Um, and in that. You have this amazing speech of the Hulk. How friends want to kill him? <laughs> well, you, you have this amazing speech of the Hulk punching Wolverine in the head just hard enough to give him a concussion 
over and over and over again while giving a speech saying, look, I know you're going to heal from this. I know you're going to heal over time. All I need to do is to punch you in the head so hard you are basically a 90-year-old boxer and you'll be out of my hair for long enough. And that, again, shows application of power across a boundary with a limitation because he doesn't want to actually kill Wolverine. There's a... Okay, so recently I played Arkham Origins, right? Where where it's not really important what happens in it, because fuck it. What is important to this conversation is there's a moment where Deathstroke and and Batman get in a fight, and you play this fight, right? Mm Mm-hmm. It's a straight fight. You out-punch a super soldier as Batman. Yeah. It's the dumbest fucking thing. And... Deathstroke does more Batman shit than you do in that fight. He throws smoke bombs and disappears and comes back and attacks. He, like, shoots a grapple hook to you that attaches to a bomb that you have. All this shit, and your solution is punch, 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 punch. Catch bullets. I sit there for, like, five minutes watching these two dudes covered in metal clang against each other. And it's, no, the, if Batman is, like, a, a street, a back alley character, which he reasonably is, Deathstroke, who is basically Captain America, would reasonably a rooftop character, and those two don't interact in a way that is reasonable to have him just approach that problem straight on. You can't just outpunch something that's physically stronger than you. That's you have to come up with a way to make it work. Uh, the you've played Arkham City, haven't you? Yes. Uh, no, no, I played I played Arkham Asylum, which I thought was really excellent, but. I know. I, I think I know where you're going with this. It, the Mr. Freeze fight, which yes. was a fantastic example of him swinging outside of his weight class because he didn't fight him. Yeah. He and I was. I there was there there are several characters in Arkham Origins who are like, oh, that's going to be the Mr. Freeze fight because that one he can't outfight that person. All of them. <laughs> he outfights almost all of them. Mm. And the closest I, thing. I to- have some sympathy for a game designer, for a video game designer, because a video game is fundamentally a bound box. You you have a you have an object in a room and the code says you can't do anything to it, and then you wind up making exceptions to that. You make the buttons that people can press to do things. And for Batman, the whole nature of him being a thoughtful, planning, cunning detective is so hard to represent in a conventional uh action based uh video game which is what you'd kind of assume because they don't actually want to make a text adventure batman game where you sit there and make big elaborate planning schemas for how to run your life while you're you know collecting points of data telltale did it kind of sort of yeah kinda kinda in the telltale way yeah i and and even then it doesn't it doesn't quite work i'm not trying to be down on that game but it doesn't even get into the vaguest overtones of what i'm getting at um tabletop role-playing games representing the batman character just fall apart as well because they're all trying to do a very mathematical kind of balance for a character like this i'm you know what here's a freebie for etten a game that is actually pretty good at handling broad power ranges in the context of a uh storytelling role-playing game is fate all right this doesn't mean anything to clay but i said it (laughs) all right yeah yeah. And the thing about it is they had a perfect example and they do it later in the game kind of with mm. uh overjuice cuz like you fight Bane once and again you outfight him and it's dumb. And then he comes back at, like when you first meet him he's 
the way Bane should be, a very large gentleman who takes steroids and gets a bit stronger. But he's still yeah. very large and cunning. And then they do this dumb shit where he becomes the overly gigantic, hulkish, giant thing you saw in Arkham Asylum and City. Yeah. And and then you do the Mr. Freeze fight where you hide and you sneak up on him and you crash him into a wall and you run away. And he slowly destroys your hiding places. But in Arkham Origins, you're given eight assassins who are coming for you. And all of them massively outstrip him in skill, except Electrocutioner, because that's the joke. Electrocutioner sucks. That's his whole thing. <laughs> uh, Firefly, who, you know, he, he has a jetpack and he has one gimmick. He blows things up. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, Lady Shiva, who is a weird sort of place where I think no one should ever outfight Lady Shiva because that's her whole deal. Yeah, L- Lady Shiva lives in the same space in my mind as Cassandra Cain. Right. You don't beat her in a fist fight. You beat her yeah. by bullshit. And you don't yeah, really don't, beat her. Don't don't bring it up. Don't, if you if you can't come up with a good meaningful way to end a com- end a confrontation with Lady Shiva that doesn't go into they had a fight and Lady Shiva won, then just don't write it right yeah. around her. They don't Run really away. Yeah, they don't. They they have him fight her and then she goes, "Okay, good. You passed the test. I'm leaving now." Which is yeah. better, I guess, but still, they never pick up on that plot point. What test? I don't know. The thing that happened in the game, this is a prequel to, I guess. Whatever. Yeah. But that's the thing, too. And it's interesting to see characters like um, Star-Lord or um, Adam Strange, who are normal people operating in cosmic level ranges, while kind of dancing around that issue. Or how Drax is just a really tough guy, but he's... A space character, you know, is he operating on a higher level than, you know, um, a Silver Surfer? Not even Silver Surfer. Is he operating on a higher level than Iron Man because he's dealing with bigger threats? I don't this know. actually yes. uh, got riffed on in of all things a Twisted Toy Fair theater, where there was a there was a point where um, Captain America and the Silver Surfer both got shot at, and the Silver Surfer got hit. He got hit in the leg with a bullet, and he's like, what the hell? He's like, yeah, you, you have to dodge. He's like, no, the laser beam, it's like a big, slow-moving thing. You've got all this time in the world to get out of the way. Because, <laughs> of course, that's how they represent power in space. It's like, you know, you have beam weapons, and it's just a funny little difference of genre, not actually a difference in power. Not that the Silver Surfer and Captain America exist on the same level of power at all. And that's the weird thing. Uh, I think it was uh, Dwayne McDuffie talking about power level and how... Um, he referred to people getting mad where at some point, I think it was, actually I don't think it was William McDuffie, I think it was, no it was, and he says he had Black Panther, who's basically on the same level as Cap, fight Silver Surfer and win via, or like, finagle his way through that via bullshit, and people got mad, and you know, arguing, it's like, it's bullshit when everybody else does it too, you just don't like that I had my guy do it this time, and I wonder why, you know, and on that level, it's always part of the thing where I don't find characters like Darkseid or Thanos very interesting because I don't buy the level of threat I'm supposed to feel from them. Yeah. Because why are you more threatening? Why does the fiction treat you as a bigger deal than the Super Scroll? You know? Oh, I'm and a so, big... Per- so so with Thanos in particular, um, Thanos is the Riddler of the cosmic set. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I... If you missed this in an earlier episode, we I, I pointed out that the Riddler is basically an ordinary criminal who's slightly easier to catch. In Thanos' case, all the stories about Thanos are about him receiving some enormously, ridiculously useful power, and then, like, the, 
because because let's face it, Thanos is mostly notable for the Infinity stories, Infinity War, Infinity Abyss, and Infinity Who Gives a Heck. Mm. Um, and in those stories, the fundamental idea of the character is that he's meant to be someone who wants to bring oblivion to the universe, but his own moral self doubt and his struggle with himself and his adulation for death means that he is ultimately self defeating. Which means that you actually kind of get this awful synthesis of the stories of basically waiting for an inevitable fuck up on his part that makes the story end. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and that's and the thing. That's, that... And that's the thing with Thanos. Like, Thanos is kind of cool, and I'm fond of Thanos, but I'm fond of Thanos because he was the straight man in Deadpool for a year. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. And I don't, I know, I don't, I don't feel it when, you know, oh no, dark side's here. Yeah, okay, fuck, you fought an alien invasion two months ago. What's different? Oh, but he's a new god. He's still just, he's, he shows up with his army of aliens, he fights and you shoot him. Blah. You know, it's, it's not like the Phoenix Force, where I think part of it is the humanity of the threat, right? Like Darkseid and Thanos yeah. and Mongol and all these guys. They have goals and intents, and you can piss them off, and you can trick them. The, the Phoenix Force is just going to show up, and you're just going to deal with it, one way yeah. or another. It doesn't yeah, care about now, you. Um, that's, actually, that's actually kind of an interesting difference, because the Phoenix Force is definitely a cosmic-level threat, effectively, from the X-Men's perspective. The Phoenix Force is Cthulhu. The Phoenix Force is an incomprehensible overwhelming absolutely apathetic power the whole thing about the phoenix force that made that they used to shake readers up and go no this isn't jean gray gets a cool new power set because we're drawing her as a sexy redhead now it was the phoenix force boredly ate a sun and extincted a solar system like just poof, like that the phoenix force is a depersonalized entity dark side and uh dark side and thanos are personalized entities and that comes back to our conversation about the metaphor thanos is an urge for oblivion but it's also self-defeating in a lot of ways thanos can be seen as a representation of and i apologize for taking this so darkly uh suicidal ideation thanos wants the world to be dead and thanos also wants to fail the two conflicting forces fundamentals of that character are in the metaphor for it that you could do interesting stories about that but if you examine it too closely, it does change Thanos from being an interesting threat to more just kind of sad. Yeah, whereas, and... Whereas Darkseid... Yeah. So, watch, watch this veer into uncomfortable super quick. Darkseid's thing that makes him scary, and the thing that makes him an imposing cosmic-level threat that, that warrants the JLA getting up, up in arms and going against him, is fundamentally, Darkseid is the dehumanization of other people. Because Darkseid has a planet of slaves. I'm with you on, like, the conceptual, like, th you know, horror of the thing, but the only problem is, yeah. and this is why, again, I distinguish between space characters and cosmic characters. I always feel cosmic characters represent sort of the horror, again, of a cosmic horror of a universe that has no fucks to give about you. Like, yeah. they represent death, not as a Grim Reaper, but just as you're all going to die eventually. And the idea that you can never really get rid of these problems, you can only delay them for a while. There was a story called um, Final Night, and in it there was this thing called a Sun Eater, and it ate suns. It was not even like a being, it was just like a warp in space. And they never really solved the Sun Eater so much as they turned the Sun Eater into a sun. Like the first thing they do is, let's make a fake sun, maybe it'll eat it, 
and then go away, and they like all the energy characters in the DC universe came up and blasted a hole like a, a into a ball yep. that made a sun, and it ate it and just kept on going, and it won. It got to our sun and it ate our sun, and we were just fucked for a good long while. <laughs> and Galactus can represent a good level of that threat because when Galactus first shows up, they don't be defeat him. They say. Okay, here's the thing. We have the ultimate nullifier. We'll destroy the whole universe. And he goes, well, that's nuts. All right, whatever. I'm just going to go eat that over there. And he he's still around. He never goes, well, they killed him because they kill everything eventually. You know, comics. But yeah, he just went away. But he never stopped. And the phoenix goes away, but it never stops. You don't defeat the phoenix. Because the phoenix represents, you know... You know, disaster, death, destruction in a very literal manifest way that you can't deal with in the way you can beat up Darkseid, you know? And for all of the horror that he represents, I can just beat him up and take over his planet. And then fuck, oh, you enslaved all these people. Fuck you. I established a happy economy. And here you are, jackass. Blah. You can't do that to the Phoenix. One of the best well, representations... Well, therein we have the, the, the reason why I feel that the conversation about Darkseid via straight into horrifyingly uncomfortable real quick is because in-universe Darkseid's kind of right. Because <laughs> right, planet... because of the anti-life equation. It's a real yeah. thing. It exists. Yeah, and so in-universe, there is someone standing on his chair going, by the way, slavery works. And, like, that's not good. Don't yeah. don't do that. <laughs> well, it wasn't supposed to. You know, the originally the new gods were supposed to do their own thing off to the side. Yeah, but... they were meant to be a a kind of a fun, uh, really fantasy punk superhero story, and that's cool. Yeah, and it was also supposed to fulfill the promise of the existence of Thor. You know, yeah. Where they open up with the old gods are dead, and you can see like Thor's hammer kind of peeking at the corner of a panel there. You know, yeah, but. And again, like the concept of Ragnarok is infinitely more interesting to me than any giant blue space asshole dude showing up to to start a fight. Because why are you, I mean, yeah, the concept may be scarier, but practically I can fight you. There's something I can grasp directly. It's even kind of like a thing sort of like Shumagorath where you don't defeat Shumagorath. You just keep Shumagorath from being around. And does that make Doctor Strange a cosmic level hero? I don't no, know. not at all. And and that's the other thing. It's not like you need. It, it's not like these boundaries are in any way at all limiting. Because in the Infinity War, which was a cosmic thing, the people who wound up solving the whole problem and making it all go away included uh, Spider Man. And Spider Man is not a cosmic fighter. Spider Man okay. solved it by listening to people and talking to people and listening to a sad little girl. Because. Who, who are we kidding? That he was always going to be the character who did that. So, do you remember um, uh, uh, Astonishing X Men at all? Only vaguely. The, run, the Joss Whedon X Men book. Oh, oh God! I remember. Do you know one what I'm thing thinking about it? Which one is this? Is it the Spider Man thing or the other thing? No, I'm thinking the I really like beer. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the uh, people of Breakworld, whatever the fuck their names were, they have a planet destroying weapon. And, like, the X-Team goes to Breakworld because of their own reasons. And they go, oh, fuck. They get to the weapon, and they, they're like, Kitty, you're gonna use your phasing to disrupt the weapon. And she's like, it's not... It's literally just a gun, and they're gonna shoot a bullet the size of a moon at Earth. I can't disrupt that. 
And so they call Earth, and they call all of Earth's mightiest heroes, and they go, you guys, this is a big fucking problem, you have to do it. And they all get assembled, and Doctor Strange starts casting a spell, and Reed Richards starts making a device, and then it explodes. They're like, oh fuck, everybody's knocked out, it's just me, Spider-Man, I have to solve this problem. And, like, smash cut to the bullet, like, one inch off the ground and covered in webs. And everybody's like, yay, Spider-Man, you saved the day! And they're holding him up, and he's like, yeah, wait, this is fucking (laughs) stupid. And everybody is sitting there in a a haze. Like, the explosion made everybody go into their own dream world. And it's been an hour, and the bullet's coming, and there's nothing they can do. (laughs) Because Spider-Man knows what his level is. Yeah, um... But there are tons of stories you can you can build around these power discrepancies. Um, you like hell the the uh, the back alley character gets to the cosmic level is an interesting one. But also to return to return to a favorite uh, topic, um, the conversation about Iron Fist and Luke Cage because even between the two of them, like yeah, sure, Danny's Danny's pretty cool. Danny's kind of cool. Danny can't be shot. Like, if you shoot him in the chest, he's going to die. Mm. Luke is not in that class. But they still have an interesting story and an interesting dynamic because of the times when the story is structured so that Danny has a way of imposing on things that would threaten Luke. And also, when they both are opposed by things that are just enough of an inconvenience for both of them. This is the thing when you have punching powers. And it's why it's why area effect superheroes are actually a lot more scary. And super speeds are a lot more scary than people seem to think. Because if if your power is, I punch good. No matter how you want to phrase, I punch good. If there are 20 people in front of you, you need to take the time to punch all 20 of them. Oh yeah, and that's kind of... I know this sounds really kind of reductive and silly, but this is... This is like the, the the sheer mechanisms of storytelling. And oh yeah, if like twenty guys are between Luke and and Danny in a door. They need to punch him. <laughs> yeah, five guys with pistols is equal to twenty guys with bats. You know, like at, yeah, or roughly. That's kind of the thing I have with the Arkham games, where you can you when you're faced with seven guys with guns, it's a stealth mission, right? When you're faced with twenty guys with guns, you just punch them all down. And I'm like, those are equal level threats, and yet I'm presented with the idea that I would approach them dramatically differently because gameplay. And I like those games and I love the stealth in those games, but the direct act, you know, the way the combat plays out, I would say yeah. that the Arkham games are daredevil games with Batman yep. aspects. And I had this revelation when I was playing Nightwing and I hit a fire extinguisher doing a combat sequence. And so, you know, your direct detective vision immediately turns on. I was like, Oh shit. This is Daredevil. I'm doing... This is a Daredevil fight, you know? And they're... Yeah, I mean... (laughs) Batman in Arkham Asylum is also built like a fridge. So all the stealth stuff is kind of weird. Yeah, but it... If you just change the design, which, you know, certain skins let you do just fine, or even if you play as Nightwing or Robin or Catwoman, it works. It really does feel good as a representation of his abilities. And it's just the stealth and the detective vision that put me off and this is something for the natural episode but again he starts swinging way outside of his weight class as a na- like a thing you do constantly you can get up to fighting hundreds of people just by walking around the room and punching everybody once you know yeah and related to this is one, one of the biggest mistakes in the arkham asylum games by the way is a uh, beat gates 
where you have to knock everyone out in a room before you can open the door. Mm. That's that is the most unbatman thing in those games. Right. If if and... I can get from my if I can get from one one end of the room to the other and the thugs in the room have no idea I'm there, then being Batman, you do that. And again, like it's the Star Lord thing. It's funny. Uh, at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, I suppose, they're fighting an entire planet from inside the planet. Now that's a pretty high level threat. Nobody on the, gu- on the movie Guardians is a high level threat, right? And they're, yeah. they're gonna, they're gonna plant a bomb. Uh, I guess spoilers for the folks out there. They're gonna plant a bomb and they have to maneuver around and inside the planet for the next five minutes as they try to escape. Whereas, you know, they're fighting Ego inside his body and, no, <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, the thing is, you can do these things as like story set pieces, and that's the thing. That story com- includes a large component of the story that is explicitly about okay, there is a power imbalance. What story can we tell about addressing that power imbalance? Is it about doing something that will actually reduce the power difference? Is it doing something about uh, the level of power of the characters? Is it, you know, it, it is really, like, that that's where the juice of a story comes. That comes back to our question of who you are, which you show in how you act. And another aspect of this is, like, event-based writing, which we deal with a lot these days, and all the problems related to that, where because a big thing happens and everybody has to be affected by it, everybody has to have an input, even if that thing wouldn't affect them or they wouldn't be able to affect it. So you come in this weird situation where... If people aren't writing these events, like, in any kind of tiered way, you start having these stories where basically you have, you know, Daredevil running from the latest event and just kind of dealing with it, which can be nice, but it can also sort of make him look less. Because now, instead of, oh, I have something to contribute, I'm going to find out the cause of the problem and maybe help a little bit, it's just, oh, fuck, things are going wrong, what do I do? Uh... For all that the movie Justice League War, which was sort of loosely, it's an animated movie, and it's loosely based off Justice League Origin, which is a New 52 sort of origin story, was kind of full of shit. There's the funny, there's the the best scene ever of Green Lantern where he goes, I've got this, and they fucking road stomp him. (laughs) But there's a moment where Batman's there, and then, you know, Darkseid's doing his thing, everybody's fighting, and Superman got taken out and snatched away to be turned into a super parademon, because that's what they do, I guess. He looks around at everything happening. He has, I have nothing to contribute here. And so he like digs in a dumpster and puts on hobo clothes. And he goes to Green Lantern and he says, tell them to figure out how to keep things going for a while. I'm going to go find Superman. And then just like flags down a parademon, which kidnaps, air quotes him. And he sneaks onto the ship to get Superman out so they can have their big gun back. Like he, he didn't deal with this isn't a crossover event situation where he's dealing with the problem by just trying to survive he goes i have something to contribute from my power level that isn't me getting in a mech you know isn't me stepping up to another power level it's just me having this one part i can contribute to the whole you know yeah yeah and that's 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 an ensembles thing that that's that incidentally is something that that superhero families do super well yeah and Again, that's that thing about event writing, where if it's a big thing, everybody has to be affected, even if nobody can affect it. So you just write, you, you haven't plotted your event out, because where there's something for each level to do. You're just thinking of a, in the larger scale. 
and you don't think, okay, well, what's the base of the street levels doing this? What's the mid level? What's the high level? And what is space care? Oh, they don't give a shit. Why this is even important? You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's always and, the and, question. <laughs> and these are, these are really, and the thing is, when when you've got all these interesting detective characters, because that's the basis for a lot of DC's best uh, street level characters. When you've got all these characters who are effectively really good detectives, it's so embarrassing that the stories seem to usually kind of circle the drain of, all right, how is Batman going to come up with like a mech to get involved here? Whereas you don't need that. Now there is one before we before we close out the episode. There is one one thing that you brought up that I think deserves kind of highlighting as a, as, a, as a part of this schema for examining this whole idea, which is you brought up the idea of the button in a video game. Oh, yeah. Now, would you like to expound on this? Okay, so video games are great. And one day we'll do an episode on video games and superhero Absolutely. games. Absolutely. Um, they're a great way to put realist, like, reasonable barriers around a character's powers. Uh, if you have a video game, you're going to have buttons that your player presses. And... There are things the character has done that they have done before at their maximum limit or their minimum. Like, this is the best they can do, and it almost killed them. And then there's the things a character does. And the thing a character does is what you put on a button. The thing a character has done, maybe it's a quick time event or a cutscene. Yeah. Because, you know, what are they going to be constantly doing? And it, And that, I think, defines their power level more than anything. You know, Superman has done this, that, and the third once or twice what is he doing every day that's his power level you know it, it, it presents us with a, uh, a a viewpoint on these characters that recognizes that there is there is a difference between your capacity and your limits right. and this again brings us back to this power model we use where you have characters who are very much street level characters who have nonetheless gone to higher levels of power and you have high level characters you know very very powerful skyline characters who have had very good down-to-earth, very low-powered stories. I mean, there's this there's these comic pages circulating around of Superman talking about his pet cat, and that's a really good story. Um, he has to be a Skyline hero to do it, but the actual emotional core of it is very, very uh, small and personal, and it could be done by a back-alley hero. Right. Now, and this is why the whole, like, Batman has done this one thing this one time so he can do everything dynamic is... Bullshit, because, yeah, he did that once. He doesn't have a button that does that, you know? And yeah, yeah. it's the Superman is so vastly powerful, we can't relate to him. He's done those <laughs> things once or twice. He doesn't have a destroy the world button, you know? Yeah, and the idea that th these characters are reduced to their most extreme forms of power is doing them a disservice, because there is almost always more to a character than just the best thing they do. Uh, or, well, not even the best, the biggest thing, they, the most impressive thing they did. Yeah. it, And that's part of the, like, the culture of sharing and talking about comics in that, hey, remember that time so-and-so did this sort of way? You know, that mean sort of way of discussing superheroes where you just share a panel of this thing that happens. It could be a funny thing, it could be a crazy thing, whatever, and that's what defines the character. And it's like, well, no, these people, these figures have stories that come out every month, every week, where they're doing infinitely more things. They're not just that one time so-and-so did an infinite mass punch, they're the entirety of their story. Mm. Now, uh, because everything has to come back to Deadpool eventually, yeah. uh, this is one of the things about Deadpool that's actually really uh, quite interesting, because Deadpool as a character, he is a back-alley character. 
Deadpool uses guns. Deadpool needs to use guns. Deadpool needs to use a lot of guns. And if you've read any of the actual Merc with a Mouth era, whenever any mid-level para or super character shows up, Deadpool gets stomped a lot. There is... A, you could make a, a, a master cut of just Deadpool getting his ass kicked by various people, some of whom are losers. Like, Batroc the Leaper is on <laughs> Deadpool's level. But... Deadpool's superpower is I can survive a story with any of this nonsense. So that means he's gotten his ass kicked by Wolverine. He's had it kicked by the Animus. He's gotten schooled all over the place by Typhoid Mary, who I kind of feel like Typhoid Mary, even if she wasn't made for a Deadpool comic, she definitely came into her own in a Deadpool comic. Um, This is, and interestingly, the villain of the first major Deadpool arc, T-Ray, is boring as fuck. He, he is an irrelevant puff of air because really his job is to show up in the story, kick Deadpool's ass, and leave him questioning, going around, what the fuck just happened? Like, yeah, well, that's all he's for. He is your inverse juggernaut, the reminder that you just get owned sometimes. Oh, man. You want to talk about the most interesting, weird dynamics and power. So a lot of, and when we ever get to, like, superhero horror characters, we'll talk about this, but a lot of those characters are about, like, tragedy. A lot of times they're less heroes and more victims, right? And Mm -hmm. even in this way, Dracula is, he's a character in the Marvel Universe, right? And he was the main character of Tomb of Dracula, even though there were other characters like Frank Drake and Blade and Quincy Harker and all of them. Really, Dracula was the main character. And there's a point at which Dracula fights the Silver Surfer and wins. (sighs) Dracula. Sure, sure, whatever. And then... Dracula fights an angel of God and wins. And then the angel fights the Silver Surfer and they both lose <laughs> against each other. And uh, that's that. Right. Like, well, hey, hey, just off the top of your head, what's, what's Dracula's power set? What, what's Dracula's power level, would you say? Just Dracula? Because Marvel Dracula is Dracula in the most old Bela Lugosi movie way you can think of. <laughs> what's, Dracula, what's Dracula's power set would you say like, I, what's his level I, I would hesitate to say that he is particularly scary because if you remember in those Bela Lugosi stories he got killed by a slightly out of da- out of condition academic with a stick mm-hmm. now yeah, and wrong, that's where they find he him with over that. London yeah. but can he, can he fight Galactus you think because apparently no. he can <laughs> no. now, now, according to the rules he can <laughs> On a related front to this, Squirrel Girl. <laughs> so it's not like I'm blameless in who I will mark for in these ridiculous conversations. <laughs> yeah. The the nature of power in superhero universes, we've already discussed this in the past, is that we kind of know power is a thing you need to put down occasionally. And the characters who don't and just wield it freely tend to be seen as dystopic or bad in some way. Um, nonetheless, your power frames what you can do, what you interact with, and how people can connect to you. And I think that this has been a useful conversation for thinking about superhero characters as they relate to you and as they relate to one another. And maybe we'll have slightly fewer conversations about how Batman could kill anyone if he had enough planning time. God. They'll never stop with that. They're all monsters, Clay. They're monsters. Fucking Batman. I like it. And they just... I I remember reading a... Batman hate Batman. (laughs) 
<laughs> I remember reading a truly terrible treatment of a Nightwing story where Nightwing took out one of the villains who had been a thorn in Batman's side for like quite a long time. And then someone writing about it saying, see, clearly Batman planned ahead and took out this character by training Nightwing. And I'm just like, oh, fuck no, off. Fuck <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> anyway. Nice things like Dick Grayson's ass. Yeah. Now, that was an episode of From the Rooftops podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. That was Clay. No, no, no. We... Exterminators came in, they killed the clay, and that was Talon. Oh, no. <laughs> Tune in next time when we'll be talking about Blade. Unless Dracula kills him <laughs> with his cosmic powers. <laughs> <laughs>